My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, welcome for those of you that are online with us. So, uh, the Velosens, my mom, Cheryl, uh, hey Ron, good to have you from Sydney, Ohio, and uh, my beautiful bride. So, thanks for being online, guys. So, we're in Mark chapter 14 today, uh, continuing on through the second half of Mark chapter 14. Um, uh, I, I will tell you, I think last week is one of the, it's one of the passages in Mark 14 where you can. You can move into a spiral of like what kind of stuff is going on with questions and how does this work and how do you reconcile that and all these different components. And the, the reality is there's something that's more significant going on than the questions that we have that arise from, you know, how, how does Jesus do the Father's will? And he, I mean, there's all sorts of interesting questions you can ask, but uh, there's other stuff going on. So we'll start with our question that we ask each week. Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark uh, we have studied so far? Yes, sir. <laughs> and that, that's actually so far in my experience not actually true because they fell asleep every time Jesus went to pray and you know it, we're really part of the nation of Israel for their response when God removed them from, from uh, Egypt you know but it's, it's, you know, it's like they walk away from God so Right. Yes. And that's that is what has struck me the last few weeks is the the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ the um I mean, he's watched these guys grow from, hey, you know, you had a line in the water to you're beginning to show these glimpses of this beautiful faith and this oscillating up and down and wavering left and right, and then uh, they're sound asleep, right? Beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. All right, anybody else? What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? All right, let's go ahead and read through the second half of Mark chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, that's where we are this morning. If you need a handout, uh, there's one at the table over there, and they're at OurSundaySchool.com. 
You can grab one there if you're online with us. So we'll pick up in verse 32 and read through verse 72. Uh, So this is Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, when with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him and saying to him, Prophesy. 
and the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So much going on in that text. Thank you, sir. So let's do a little bit of a review before we jump too far into this particular passage. So who wrote the Gospel of Mark? Give you three guesses. Who wrote the Gospel of Mark? Not a trick question. Mark, yes, Mark. Was Mark one of the twelve apostles? Was Mark one of the twelve apostles? No, he was not. <laughs> um, was Luke one of the twelve apostles? No. What about Matthew and John? Yes. So two of the four gospel writers were. Two of the four gospel writers were not. And you might be thinking, well, how can you write a, an account of what somebody's life was like if you weren't following them around the whole time? Well, Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel, he went around and did a whole bunch of research. Because if, if Luke were around today, Luke would not be a practicing medical doctor. Luke would be the, the doctor that teaches other doctors how to be doctors in a research facility where he's doing research. Like that would be really aligned with his what we know about him. Mark, however, hung out with somebody in particular that shows up in Mark chapter 14. Who did Mark hang out with? Simon Peter. They were together in Rome at the end of Peter's life. And what we think is that Peter, because the early church fathers tell us and confirm that uh, Mark hung out with Peter a lot and you can almost rename Mark's gospel, the gospel according to Peter, as told to Mark and written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it was a second-hand account, but the person who was telling the account was literally there for virtually all the activities that were going on. So when you read through Mark's gospel and you feel like you're inside the head of Simon Peter it's because you're inside the head of Simon Peter. Like that's his perspective as he's communicating this through. So we see this when you look at um, the end of verse 40. So he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Right? If you were there, if you were one of the three, you could say, yeah, it was like a, mm, we never really got an answer for this. Right? And then... In verse 72, at the end of verse 72, and he broke down and wept. Well, who was, 
Like, who of the 12 was with Peter at that time? Nobody. He was out there on his own, right? He's out there cursing and denying Christ on his own, but he was able to communicate this back to Mark, uh, preserved perfectly by the Holy Spirit, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, So let's keep that in mind as we go through this part of Mark chapter 14. So last week we started with verse 32. Uh, We talked about the Garden of Gethsemane, talked about how it was not necessarily roses and lilies and uh, sunflowers. This is olive trees. This is a place of pressure where things are harvested to make something that is beautiful. Um, We talked about how Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. He was very sorrowful to death. Uh, This sorrowfulness remained until he died. He told the disciples to remain here and to watch. He took with him Peter, James, and John. He leaves them behind. He goes a little further, and he has this conversation with his father, which is really interesting stuff. So verse 36, and he says, Abba, Father. So when Jesus is under pressure, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to his dad, which is a Wonderful model example for us. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So he starts off with stating something that is true. Remove this cup from me. So this command that he gives his father. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So it's the implication here that, that Jesus has a distinct will, which is one of the things that is required if you are a person. right? So you have to have a mind, you have to have a will. Um, and yet he is obedient to the Father, which again is a beautiful, beautiful example for us. So we'll pick up today in verse 37. It says, and he came, so this is Jesus, came and found them. So who's the them in verse 37? Peter, James, and John, that's right. He came and found them sleeping. And there's nothing fancy about this Greek word for sleeping. It just means they were lights out. And he said to Peter, now I want you to look at your English translation for just a second, because if you look at your English translation, you might get the feeling that everything that Jesus says here, he says exclusively to Peter, but that is actually not the case. And the the singular plural nature of virtually every Greek word helps us to know when he stops talking to Peter and when he starts talking to Peter, James, and John which I think is quite helpful. So he says to Peter, Simon, and I really wanted to explore. I really wanted this to be true. I don't know if you've ever studied the Bible and you're like, ooh, that'd be neat if that was, and it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't actually accurate. I can't, we gotta leave that alone. I really wanted to make a big deal about Jesus calling him Simon and not calling him Peter. Because what what was the name that his, his mama and daddy, or I guess his daddy gave him? Simon, and the name that Jesus gave him was Peter, Peter, right? So if Jesus gave him the name of Peter, why didn't he call him Peter? I don't know. And I looked up all the the options and all the instances of this in the New Testament, and there did not seem to be any pattern to me of when he was really behaving, he called him Peter. When he really wasn't, it just, it wasn't, there wasn't a real clear line of making this sense. He just calls him Simon here. So I'm not going to make a big deal about that. Simon, are you asleep? So I'm at the top of page 483 on your handout. Yes, ma'am. How do you using a dad voice? Now that would be ironic if Jesus was using his dad voice after having just talked to his dad. 
right? <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get there. That was, that was good. That was good. It says, are you asleep? Now, this verb uh, is a singular verb. So he's talking to a, a, a singular person here. Are you asleep? And then, then, could you not watch one hour? Now, the interesting thing about this word for watch is it doesn't have a singular or plural component. Not all Greek verbs have this. Most of them do, but not all of them do. I don't actually know if he's still talking to Simon in this sentence. But when we get to the next sentence, watch and pray, this word watch is a plural present active imperative. He has now shifted to talking to Peter and James and John. So it wasn't just Simon who was asleep. They were all asleep. So Jesus gives them the group command here. So watch and pray. This word watch just means to stay awake, be alert, and pray. This is an imperative again. And there's a reason. It's not just, I just want you awake so you stay awake. There's a reason for this, that you may not enter into temptation. Now, he didn't say that you may not be tempted. Right? The implication here is that the temptation is going to happen no matter what. The reality is watching and praying help keep us from entering into temptation. And I, I think it's very uh, telling that nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that here's how to stop all temptation. He's like, no, here's how to stop all pressure. Here's how to stop all persecution. No, 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 no. That's, that's actually not the point. The point is we have someone with us going through this. We have an outlet. We have the Holy Spirit. We have, we pray to the Father. We have the model and example of Jesus. So he tells them to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he gives this kind of, uh, almost like a divine commentary on what he's talking about here. The spirit indeed is willing or predisposed. I've highlighted the word alacrity. I'll give you a nickel if you know. I actually don't have a nickel on me. I have a dollar. I'll give you a dollar if you know what the word alacrity means without looking it up. Anybody? Nerve? No, not exactly. Cheerful readiness. You're like, cheerful readiness? Yeah. Uh, alacrity is Dave's attitude when sound issues happen in this room. He's like, <gasps> yes, I'm at it. It was a beautiful example. I didn't know how I was going to use it today, but it was like, there it was. It's great. And this is what Jesus says, the Spirit is indeed willing. Like, the Spirit is going, yes, we can do this. This is good. We can do this. But the flesh is weak, and the word means strengthless, without strength. If you look at the actual Greek word, um, asthenes, that word starts with an A, which means not, the opposite of. It's without this thing, without strength, no, no strength available. Our, uh, our mini freezer in our uh, garage, uh, I went out this morning, hit the garage door, garage door didn't go up which means the circuit in my garage has been tripped. And I looked over at the mini freezer that has a whole bunch of meat in it, and I thought, hmm, this could be ugly. So I opened it up, put my finger on the top piece of meat, and it kind of gave a little. That freezer was without strength. It didn't have anything that was powering it. 
and the dichotomy, the, the, the disparity here between the willingness of the spirit and the lack of strength of the flesh. Notice who he's talking to. He's talking to Peter, James, and John. But if you look at Jesus' spirit, he was willing, and Jesus' flesh was strong. Right? It wasn't corrupted with the sin nature that we have. He's drawing a contrast even between himself and them, even with this statement. But not doing so in a belittling way, right? This is not a three-point sermon and a, and a poem at the end. So verse 39, and again, uh, he, Jesus, went away and prayed, saying the same words. So have you ever heard anybody say, you shouldn't use the same words when you pray? Have you ever heard anybody in the book of Mark say, you shouldn't use the same words when you pray? <laughs> he didn't say exactly that, though, did he? He said you shouldn't use vain repetition when Jesus was talking about prayer, not as the heathen do. But Jesus says the same words to his father. So he goes back and he says again to his father, you pull it up, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So he didn't get the prayer answered the first time with a yes. Praise the prayer again. Verse 40. And again he came, this is the second time he's come back, and found them sleeping. Now it's a, <laughs> um, it's a present active participle now, which implies like they've really been at it for a second, which almost implies that the second he left, they went back to sleep. This is not the, the shining finest hour here, right? So he finds them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And this heavy is a, a passive heavy. It's happening to them. And they did not know what to answer him. So if they didn't know what to answer him, what does that imply? Yes. And what else? What do you typically answer? A question? Right? So again, we see Mark not including every single word that Jesus said, which again is great. So they didn't know what to answer. Verse 41, and he came the third time. So, so what do we think he did between the end of verse 40 and the beginning of verse 41? Yeah, I think he went back and prayed again. So we already know that Mark's not including every single thing that's happening. So this is a, this is a you're going to almost think about Mark as a summary of the life of Jesus with some deep dives into specific uh, moments here and there. So he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? And then this next, this next sentence in the ESV is really, really wonky in the Greek. It's just one word. It's uh, apeko. Um, it's a verb, and uh, it means to have out or to receive in full, to keep oneself away. It shows up earlier in Mark's gospel in a completely different way. Uh, it can also mean to be distant. But the idea is that um, whatever the activity is that's going on, it's filled up and it's kind of, it's done, 
right? We've, we've had enough of that. And most English translations just, just translate it as the word enough with an exclamation point. Like Jesus is just fed up. And I don't know that he's just fed up rather than he's noticed that the situation is full, it's not changing, and then he says this phrase, the hour has come. Now, in Mark's gospel, this phrase is not nearly as big a deal as in other gospels, where Jesus says over and over and over and over again, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come, my hour's not yet come. And now he says the hour has come. And then the ESV does something that irritates the fool out of me. They leave out a word that most other translations put in, because if you look about halfway down the page, on page 485, the G3708 is highlighted, and it's the Greek word arao, and this is an imperative, and it's the word behold. Like, there's a command that Jesus gives to the disciples here, to Peter, James, and John, to behold, to look, to see, pay attention right now, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, I wholeheartedly believe that I could spend two hours easily talking about is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And I'm so tempted. And Bethany is giving me a, please don't, but that's, that, that is wonderful that you believe so, but we would appreciate if you didn't. So I'm just going to skip a rock over it. But I want you to notice that the is betrayed is passive. And this is incredibly significant. Because every other leader in the history of the world has at some point or another actively participated in their own betrayal. Through failure, through sin, through uh, improper leadership. Jesus is the only one who ever has betrayal lumped on him, and he has no guilt in the betrayal at all. This word is beautiful. At the bottom of my notes here, I have Jesus, active obedience, Jim, active betrayal. And like, what, what do I get? I get Christ's righteousness put on my account, and he gets my disobedience and betrayal of him put on his account, and he says, I will submit to that deal. It's the worst terms in the history of the universe for any party who's ever entered into a contract is what Jesus gets. And we get all of the positive. It's unbelievable. So the Son of Man is betrayed. So obviously Judas is doing the betraying here. Into the hands of sinners. Now this word sinners, Mark does not use this word very often. Mark's gospel is not about a... Uh, Sinners in the hands of an angry God type message. I don't know if you've ever read that sermon or not. Uh, you'll go to sleep. It's so boring. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting sermon, but it's incredibly dull. Uh, if you go back to Mark chapter 2, I want you to see where this word sinners first shows up. And again, Mark's not doing this on accident. The Holy Spirit's picking these words very specifically. So back in Mark chapter 2, verse 15, we'll start in verse 13. Uh, actually, let's start at 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Notice what chapter are we in, in Mark? Two. Yeah, he, 
he gets progressively less popular the farther you go into the book. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but he gets shockingly less popular the farther you go. Because the closer you get to the cross, the more you call out people who are serious about their faith and those who are not. So as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Have a hard time not reading this with a sarcastic tone. And when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to the call the righteous, but sinners. So who did Jesus come for? Sinners. And in Mark 14, who is coming for Jesus? Sinners. He came for those who came for him. Unfathomable love is the only bucket I can put this into. So what does he tell his disciples? Well, we've got a few more commands to obey. First, we've got to get them up off the ground. This is a very tactical command here. Um, I love the, the <laughs> good theology is always practical. Uh, and Jesus' command here is to rise, to get up, wake up. Let us be going and see. This is the same word as the ESV skipped back up in uh, the middle of the prior verse in verse 41. Behold, it's another imperative here. My betrayer is at hand. And this word for betrayer, I'm on the last page of the handout right now. This word for betrayer is a verb, it's not a noun. And it's a present active participle, which implies Judas has been at it for a minute, and we know this that he has. This is not just a, boom, he made this instantaneous decision to do this. My betrayer is at hand. The perfect tense here. Uh, the perfect tense is the completed action with the results continuing. So he's here. And this is going to matter for a while. This is going to change everything from here on out. So who's he with? Is he with the 12 right here or is he with the three? Open book. <laughs> Looks like the three, right? Because he hadn't really joined the 12. Well, sorry, there's not a 12. <laughs> there's an 11 at this point. You, I'm, we're 142 weeks into this series. I've gotten in the habit of saying the 12 at this point, so you have to forgive me if I get my math wrong periodically. Yeah, this is where we are at this point. So there's a couple of applications and uh, personalizations. Application number, I've got five today of each, so probably not enough space for you to actually write on that page, but it is what it is. Uh, application number one, Jesus didn't always get what he wanted. If you want a statement to make your head hurt for the next 30 years, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I would actually go as far as to say the father doesn't always get what he wants. So what do we do with that? Well, understand the father's will is more important than mine. 
or hours. So Jesus didn't always get what he wanted. So we understand the Father's will is more important than ours. Uh, application number two, Jesus obeyed the Father's will. Obedience is greater than preference. So what do you think we ought to do? Maybe obey the Father's will. Right? Seems pretty straightforward. If only we had something that told us what that was. That'd be helpful. Maybe it was a book we had access to. Uh, application number three, watching and praying stop entering into temptation. So what do we do with that? Watch and pray. I would argue we have something different to watch for than the three disciples did that he gave this command to in the garden. Uh, application number four, Jesus is patient with his own. Whew. Unbelievable. You come and you find your employees asleep three different instances in a row. At most of our jobs, this is going to report it's going to result in some type of HR action, right? I mean, like, you're out cold on the job. You, somebody's getting written up. Somebody's going to have be suspended. Jesus is patient with his own. So what do we do with that? Maybe thank him for his patience with us. I have certainly been asleep. And then the last one, the last application, I don't want to miss this one. Um... Uh, Jesus had told the disciples over and over and over and over and over again that the Pharisees and the elders and the scribes, he's going to be betrayed. So I don't want to miss the fact that here's number five. Jesus' prophecies came true. Jesus' prophecies came true. So what do we do with that? We can then trust his word. So when he tells us something about the future, we can bank on the fact that he is actually going to deliver 100% of the time. So when he says, a couple of chapters later, I'm coming again, we can bank on that. Which is really, really good news for us. <clears throat> so, next week, Lord willing, we will pick up with Mark 14, 43. And we're going to enter into a crooked criminal court, a crooked religious court system, and a crooked criminal court system. And we're going to see the intersection of those and where they overlap and where they don't, and the politics at play, and the religious leaders and power and authority. And there's, you know, we don't see anything like this in our day and age where court systems don't do exactly what we think justice should look like, but I'll stop talking about that. So next week, we'll be in Mark 14, 43. And I look forward to uh, walking through what Judas does and how Jesus responds to Judas in the moment. Because we can learn a lot from that moment as well. So you should have your weekly update uh, at your table. 
Uh, and I will, I will ask a special request this morning. Please make sure that everybody puts their names at the bottom of this one. Um, my official attendance taker is at home sick this morning, so if you could uh, help me out with that, that would be great. And then uh, if you would uh, take a section and pray over some section of these prayer requests, make any changes or updates as you need. Uh, and then once you are finished, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who is patient with us, whose word we can trust, who obeyed the Father's will. And uh, I am thrilled about that opportunity today. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.